Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, my name is Chris Causey. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm thrilled that you are here today as we kick off our new series. It's just a two-week series, but I think it's going to be fun, called Summer Essentials. And uh, the desire for this series is really to kind of get ahead of the summer and to give you the things that we think are going to be really useful this summer. It's also been behind some of the intentional planning that we have over the next few weeks and the next month with summer coming. For example, um, one of them is a women's Bible study group that we're going to be kicking off, um, studying the book of Philippians. And if you're interested, it's going to be Wednesday night, 7 p.m. here. It's a six-week series. Kicks off July 13th. And it's going to be great. And really excited about that. Naturally, I will not be here. I'm not allowed. But um, I hope you will be. If uh, you're a female, encounterchurch.com forward slash women. All right. Um, also, wanted to let you know, like, a special thank you to all the hardworking people who planned last Sunday, right after service, we had an all-star kind of just volunteer gathering, and Allie and her team just did an amazing job putting together um, a great event. And one of the things that we've, going into the summer, we just wanted to celebrate the people who make this church possible. Um, regardless of how much time you spent in church growing up, uh, one of the things that most people can kind of miss unless you've really been kind of pressed in and volunteering and serving is that what makes a church great um, is the people. The church is the people. It's not the building. The building is just a thing and it's a shell that a church is not even a building. Um, the reason I can prove that to you just historically is the church for the first 300 years of the Christian movement did not have buildings. It was illegal, right? And so if you required a building to have a church, you could not have had a church in the first 300 years of the Christian movement. All right, so there we settled that one. Um, and so we can all agree that the people are what makes a church great. And um, fortunately, I just I get to see that every single week. You experience that this morning, even before I stepped on the stage with just the powerful worship from our team. And um, so because of that, because we know how much it takes, um, I don't even know how many hours every single week of people who are not paid by this church who are working behind the scenes to make this possible. And so on July 3rd, right, we're actually not going to have any service at all. We're not going to have a digital service. We're not going to have an on-site service because even if I said we're going to do an online service, there would still be a group of people who would have to give time to make that happen. All right. So July 3rd, if you show up, please do not. If you show up, there will be no one here, um, and it's not because I don't want to preach, because I can speak and I like speaking. It's because at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm the staff member, and so everything else that you see here is a result of someone showing up on Sunday morning, sacrificing, surrendering, working hard during the week, and we want to honor them and say thank you. So that's why I just want to let you know that we've got those two things coming up, the women's Bible study, July 13th. Wednesday, 7 p.m., six weeks, and then July 3rd, we will not have any service. Now, if you really need preaching, shoot me a text. I'll show up at your house. I can, I can do it. Like, I'll come prepared with a message, and, you know, I'll bring a little, little keyboarder or something, a kazoo. We'll have service, okay? So you just let me know. <laughs> so um, the goal for the next two weeks is Dallas and I want to kind of help equip you um, with going into the summer, because summer is one of those times of the year we all look forward to. Um, New England, I think, is the best place in America at summertime. I have friends and family who live around the U.S., and they tell me 
the, the temperature. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday in Houston who was cutting his grass, and he answered my phone really quickly, and I'm like, man, why did you answer? He was like, I was cutting my grass. It gave me a break. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's 100, over 100 degrees temperature. He was like, it's so hot. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like 82, and I'm sweating, you know. So it's, you know, it's a little bit. <laughs> so New England is phenomenal in the summer. But I also know that summer has some unique challenges. And I think this summer will have even more unique challenges. In fact, I um, feel like I probably have already had a little bit of deja vu as I think about the summer. Um, because the first time my wife and I ever flew on a trip, we'd just gotten married. We'd been married for three months. So she just hitched her wagons to me, right? And like, hey, for the rest of my life, this is the man I'm going to have in my life. And, you know, woo, great job. Um, and so we go on our first ever trip flying, and we fly down to a friend's wedding, and we had some other friends who drove, so it's like a 20-hour drive, and so we we're like, we're going to fly, because I'm, I'm like, girl, I'll take you through the air. I'm going to let you all soar with me, right? And so we fly there, and then we leave the wedding, we go back to fly back, and um, we hit Philly for a transfer, and it just like starts to fall apart there. We sit on the tarmac. For about two to three hours, um, it's a Philly summer. Uh, they're having issues technologically, so they keep shutting off the airplane, which means we're all hot boxed inside of this tiny little aluminum shell, sitting on the tarmac. We're all sweating. People are like losing their minds, really frustrated. None of us can get off of this thing. Uh, they eventually get the airplane back on. They get us up to the tarmac, and they're like, hey, we've got about an eight-hour delay before you're going to be able to continue. So we're stuck in Philly for eight hours, so we, you know, go downtown and see everything that there is to see, and we get back, and, you know, fortunately, they give us food vouchers, but none of the places took the food vouchers, and so at this point, probably my wife is starting to second guess, you know, I don't know if I should have put him in charge of travel. I'm like, girl, I got you. We're, we're going to get there. So we get on our plane. We fly back in. We land around midnight. This, I'll never forget it. We land around midnight in this tiny little airport near where we lived at the time, and we're waiting at the luggage thing. And, um, you know, like, it can be a wait. You know, I'm like, oh, the ground crew, it's late. They're tired. They're taking their time. And it's like, I'm like, nope, 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 none of these are ours. And finally, it stops. And the only thing left on the, the actual luggage rack, no joke, is the Heisman Trophy. Okay, no joke, is a Heisman Trophy. Because a person who happened to live in the town that we lived in, because I saw the year of the Heisman Trophy, I was like, oh, I know who won the, the Heisman that year. I totally know that. That is actually the Heisman Trophy. And I'm like, Jenny, there's a Heisman Trophy right there. Have you ever seen a Heisman Trophy? And Jenny's like, I don't care about a Heisman Trophy. Where is our luggage, Chris? And I'm like, but look, there's the Heisman Trophy. Because how often do you see the Heisman Trophy just sitting on a luggage rack? I'm like, anybody could take that, Jenny. We could take that, Jenny, and no one would know. <clears throat> She's like, where's our luggage? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, look, let's just go home. It's late. We've been traveling a really long time. Let's just go home, and then tomorrow morning we'll come back up. And at that point, I'm like, um. She's like, what? So you know how our keys have a lot of keys on it? And it's uncomfortable when I put it in my pocket and I complain about it? She's like, yeah. I was like, and then you got to go through the like metal detector. So I was being smart. I was like, I don't have to worry about my keys. I will put them in our bag, and then I'll get there, and I'll just pull them right back out. She's like, our keys were in the luggage, the luggage that didn't make it here. It was a good time. I thought it was a good idea at the time, I promise. So we had to wake her father up. 
midnight. He has to drive 45 minutes from his house to pick us up, to take us back to our apartment that we could not get into. So we had to figure that one out. <clears throat> we eventually settle it all, but like we get in the bed late that night, and I'm like, she is totally regretting saying yes to me three months ago because I completely messed up the first time. That was like, so we're traveling together, same last name, staying in a room together, and I'm like, girl, I'm taking care of you, and I lost your keys. It was crazy. But in some ways, as I read the news reports this past weekend, I was like, it's not too far off, right? Like, I think this is probably what we're in for this summer. This is actual traffic in Boston, by the way, in case you think I just pulled some random photo. This is, this is Boston. And then on top of that, we're probably waiting, if you're going to fly, you probably should prepare for that, too, right? Like, that's not a trick photo where you just copied and pasted human beings. That's real, actual human beings waiting. I mean, this past weekend at Logan, hundreds of flights, right? I think this summer, if we're being honest, one of the things that we need to kind of take into the summer with us is patience. It's probably something that'll be really helpful, whether it's sitting in a line, whether it's waiting on hold for four hours for that customer service person. Like, I think it should be illegal to say, we value your business. The approximate hold time is 495 minutes. Like, that does not feel, um, and first of all, you're asking me to do math because I'm like, well, wait, how many, how many hours is 495 minutes, right? You're not even telling me the hours. You're giving me a minute. It's like, at some point, that was a good psychological method to help me. But when you cross the 100 line mark, like, just throw it out the books and start giving people hours or say, we'll get back to you in a couple weeks, right? Um, or whether it's waiting in traffic or sitting in an airport because you've been delayed for the fourth time. I think this summer, you and I need to pack patience wherever we go. So... I want to talk about patience and what it is and how you can have more of it. So to get there, I want to take you to this one simple statement written by Solomon in Proverbs 16, 32. It's a really helpful statement, but you should know something about Proverbs. First of all, Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. And Solomon intentionally, when he would write these or he'd speak these that were then later written down, he would craft these statements that were memorable. They were pithy, but the power was in reflecting on them. The power was in understanding that every single word was chosen for a reason. And as you and I will find with this statement, every single phrase is there for a reason. And it can actually be the reason you and I can actually be patient this summer. Solomon says, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. It's helpful to understand the context. This is written almost 3,000 years ago. And this phrase when he says, a man who controls his temper rather than one who takes a city, is pretty significant. First of all, Solomon is the son of David, arguably one of the greatest kings who have ever lived in Israel's history. At that point, he had only been the second king, but he was the greatest because what David did was David did amazing, miraculous things. He slayed Goliath with one tiny stone. He expanded the borders of the nation. He was able to defeat enemies. In this day and age, 
might made right. When you went to sleep at night, you, you worried, an act of worry was a horde of bandits, robbers, or a foreign enemy coming in to attack, kill, and burn down your village. We have no concept of safety compared to what they had. Because when we go to sleep at night, you may fear someone stealing your bike, maybe breaking into your car, but you don't fear waking up the next morning and the entire city's gone because someone decided to attack you in the middle of the night. And this was the common thing. This was a normal thing. Taking a city was what made you a hero. I mean, it was one of the reasons people sang songs about David. He had slayed his thousands, his tens of thousands. To be great in this society, to be a hero in this society, was demonstrated by your strength and your ability to take a city. And so the fact that Solomon says someone who can control his temper is someone who's better than someone who takes a city is making a surprising statement about patience. I think partly because Solomon had grown up in a household where he had watched his father, he had heard the stories about his father, he had heard the stories of Goliath falling, of Goliath's brothers falling, of enemies being conquered, people who had constantly plagued the Jewish people were no longer a threat anymore because David had snuffed them and stamped them out. But Solomon was also the, the son of Bathsheba, who was the woman that David, in a moment of a lack of self-control, had impregnated, had murdered her husband so that he could orchestrate a cover-up and make her his wife. I mean, this completely jacked-up situation. And so Solomon had firsthand kind of account of what someone who was strong on the outside and yet weak on the inside, the damage that could be done. In fact, if you study David's life, you'll notice the second half of David's life, not chronologically, but kind of from an event standpoint, Bathsheba is a turning point in his life. And if Solomon, if David's life up till Bathsheba is basically up and to the right, things are going well, I mean, it's just, it's happening for him. And then Bathsheba begins a slow decline. His family suffers, he suffers, the nation suffers. Because... He didn't have self-control. He was a man who could take a city, but he didn't know how to control his impulses and his desires. And so Solomon knew, you know what? The ability to control what's happening on the inside more is more important than the ability to take a city from outside. And he's pointing us. So this past week, this video uh, picture went viral, and this is actually... Went viral on Twitter first because this was a screenshot. Um, so her name is Meg, and uh, Meg texts her family on the text chain, and she says, so I rolled up to North Park tonight, North Park's in Pittsburgh, to jump into a pickup pickleball game, which say that like five times fast. Um, started playing with these guys, had no idea who they were. Last guy, the guy, last game, the guy in the green shirt and I whooped the other two. Then everyone else there wanted to take our photo. What I love about Meg um, is, one, this kind of reminds me of my wife because I feel like in the future, this would totally be kind of the text chain 
I would get from my wife. If you've ever spent time, I am not the competitive one in our household. She is very competitive and for good reason because she likes to win and she knows how to win. In fact, when we had small kids, she was like, um, I would always let them win at every game regardless of what the game was. They'd be like, oh, you beat me again, right? And, and Jenny was like, I'm going to teach them the value of losing. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if there's a value in losing. My, I think there is, and I'm going to teach it to them. And so she would walk by me, and she would judge me because I had to let them win. She's like, you're just ruining their future. They need to know how to lose. And I'm like, okay. So when I saw this, I was like, Jenny, this would totally be you. Like, you would roll up for a pickup pickleball game, and then you would actually use the word whooped. <laughs> like, you would totally do it. And it would be in such a nonchalant kind of way. You need to know that this woman's about double the age of these three guys, and the reason I know that is because these three guys professionally dress like this. Okay? Those are the same three guys. They're three Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Meg goes to play pickup pickleball and notices that they're all three playing except for him sitting on the bench because in pickleball you've got to play singles or doubles. So she walks up and is like, this is what you do in pickup pickleball. Say, hey, do you want to play? And so she jumps in. And Meg gives it to two men who are professional athletes who are literally paid to be in the perfect physical shape that they can be. She's double their age, and she whooped them. Love it. You have to realize the reason this went viral is because this was so surprising. I mean, no one, I mean, look how small Meg is compared to them. Like, I'm pretty sure they eat the equivalent of her weight every single day. And yet she whooped them. And so this thing catches and spreads, and, um, and people grab hold of it. And in some ways, the surprise that kind of fueled it would have also been the same level of surprise when people read that first, that proverb for the first time. Because in our culture, we may not understand the 3,000 years ago, but we understand things that don't fit the box that we have. And the patient, that proverb that I just read that you're like, oh, okay, it's in the Bible. Like, it would have been so shocking and so surprising. It would have gone viral for its absurdity. But Solomon could write it with a sense of heaviness because Solomon had lived it. He had seen the impact of impulse. He had seen the impact and destruction of acting on a whim and not being able to control what's within. And he realized upon reflection that patience is better than all these things. But if you remember, I told you that there is a, a beauty to the to Proverbs, that they were meant to be memorized, they were meant to be internalized and reflected on because the details would, would kind of come out and start to emerge the more you chewed on it. And, and this is one of those examples where this actually happens. And this is actually the part that's key for us to go into the summer with this essential thing called patience. So what Solomon does is by stating it, he's actually saying something else that's even more profound. I don't know about you, but in my mind, when you meet people who are patient, they almost seem to have something supernatural. Really patient people. Right? Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach for you. Maybe it was one of your parents. Maybe it was a sibling. 
maybe it was somebody you've met in a grocery store or someone that you knew growing up, but like there's this like group of people that you, you if you were going to clump them together, you say there's patient people and then there's normal people. There are people who have patience and then there are the rest of us. And we live in a culture that fosters even more impatience. Like we're in an instant culture. Like if you want food, instant, right? You can get it right now. If you, if you want to get likes, you can get that right now. I mean, we get irritated when something takes longer than it should have. But for most of society, if you wanted like some type of salad and you had a craving for a salad, you waited nine months because you were growing it. Not nine minutes at sweet green. And so this is this tension that we live in. We, everything happens so fast for us, it fosters impatience. And we tend to think patience is something you're either born with or you're not. And what Solomon does is actually makes a point that your break point can actually be a breaking point. He actually lets you and I know by the very nature of the proverb that we actually can grow in our capacity for patience. That patience is something that you and I can control in our lives. It's not something you are born with or you're not born with. It's that you can do it. You can grow it. You can strengthen it. And we all know that, like, there's these points, right, where right before that moment, we kind of, we break, we lose our impatience, we say things that we regret, we do things we regret, we get irritated, and we kind of, we let it just kind of break out. And Solomon says, no, your break point doesn't have to be that. You can actually get to that point, and instead of it being a break point, it can be a breaking point where you tap the brakes and you gain control. And it doesn't allow you to run over other people. Because sometimes we have this misconceived notion that patience is being a pushover, and it's not. Having patience means you're not a bulldozer. Doesn't mean you're not a pushover or that you're a pushover. And so how? How do you move from being impatient to being someone who would actually say, I'm patient? And that's the thing I want to equip you with. Because it's a muscle. And like any muscle, you can train it. And so one of the ways, I would call this weight training. All right? So how do you weight train? So how do we go into the summer fostering, growing, and strengthening patience in our lives? Well, to give you a little bit of an insight, I don't have a really strong patient muscle. I like things to happen yesterday when I wanted them today. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But someone's like, whenever I'm meeting with a contractor, whenever I'm meeting with an agent, or they're like, so, you know, they always ask the question, like, what's your deadline? When would you have liked this to happen? Like, what's your time frame? I always say yesterday. And then they laugh. And they don't realize that, like, I'm not being funny. I'm being honest. Like, when did you want, like, what's, what's your time frame? Yesterday. And, like, uh, and I'm like, I'm not being funny. <laughs> just stare at him. You know, it's like, well, we'll do it as soon as possible. I'm like, yeah, yesterday. Right? So it's like, I, I struggle with this. And this is something I want to grow in my life. And when you think about it, with the, the 
awareness that you can actually train yourself to be able to do this, then it actually shifts your mindset. So full disclosure, when I find myself, because I have seasons, I have days, where there are some days where I'm not as patient as I want to be, and I'm standing in a grocery store line. This is full disclosure. This is how jacked up I am. But this is how committed I am to seeing patience in my life. I will sometimes pick the longer line and wait. Because I will feel the impatience inside of me. And, it, as, and this stubbornness rises up. And it's like, you are not in control. So, little toddler Chris... You're going, to sit in the patient, you're going to sit in the passenger seat, and we're going to wait because you're throwing a fit. And I literally will do this. I'll sit, and I'll wait. And if I've been really bad and really impatient, then I'm like, and you don't get to look at your phone. And I'm like, blast it. Look what you did to a style of Chris. And I'll sit there, and I'll do this. I'll, I'll do that sometimes when picking a line coming up to a toll booth. If I'm driving like a maniac because I didn't plan my day, I didn't give myself extra 15 minutes, I'm like, you're an idiot. You're going to get a speeding ticket. Pick the longer line. This is your fault. You're going to have to own it when you get there. I'm like, blessed. But for some of you who work out and go to the gym, you do this to yourself. You're like, oh, I've got to work harder today. Yesterday I noticed I was like breathing hard. I should have ran that faster. I should have been able to do that harder. I should have been able to lift more pain. And so this may seem weird in the patient arena, but some of you will go into the gym and you will put 10 pounds more on that thing than you've ever put before and you will physically exert yourself and you will get three of them in and you will shove it down and anyone looking from the outside in without any context in any other culture at any other point in history would have thought clearly there was someone with a whip or a gun standing off camera making you do what you just did. Uh, they're like, clearly their life is in danger because they're lifting that really heavy thing. Look how hard they're straining. Look how much they're breathing. Look how much they're sweating. This can't be pleasurable. They don't look like they're having fun. It's like, well, why do you do it? Because you recognize that when you put yourself in a place that is your weakest and you're willing to do the training in it, it becomes the pathway to becoming stronger. And what I've found in patience and weight training is that eventually what starts to happen is what you used to work out with, now you can warm up with. It's not a big deal. So that's why I'll like escalate with the phone because it's like, I know how to sit in a line and wait three extra minutes. But my like drive for efficiency and getting stuff done means I can do this. And it's like, nope, you're not allowed to do this. You're going to look at other people looking at their phone. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. I'm going to look at other people looking at their phones. And I'm not allowed to tap my foot like I'm doing right now. I smile. It's like, hey, I picked this line on purpose. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I know. But you probably do this with weights. And, you know, clearly this is something you want to grow in. So this is what I want to grow in. Weight training. Because I, I, I've learned that life doesn't run on my schedule. doesn't operate for my convenience. So being able to weight train. Knowing that you can weight train is an incredibly freeing thing. I do this with my kids all the time, and they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Do you realize how many breakthroughs, inventions, and innovations have occurred because someone was bored? 
It's like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting. You are on the precipice of greatness, child. Lean into that boredom. Lean in. Greatness awaits on the other side. So in our household, you don't, don't, don't go into I'm bored because that launches me into a tirade of historical breakthroughs. Right? Or toddler Chris being like, when I was your age, I had to sit in the back of the car and read billboards. That's what I did because I didn't have little electronic devices. And you know what? When I wanted to watch a movie, I couldn't just wait and go click a button and it popped up and stream it. I had to wait months because we couldn't afford to go to the movie theater, so I had to wait till it got to Blockbuster. And when it got to Blockbuster, everybody had already taken it out. So like, don't give me that mess that it's spinning right now and it's not loading as fast. So that's the like lesser version of me. But I, I think there's something to be said for fostering this. And we have a lot of people in this room, you look good, I know you're going to the gym. And what I'm telling you is the same thing that you use to transform your body can transform your inside too. That same mindset can completely revolutionize you. And especially in the areas where you know it's going to happen. Look, we can predict that you're going to be impatient, that you're going to have opportunities to be impatient this summer. So come up with a plan. Right? I mean, if you know you're going to go to the gym and you're trying to exercise, you'll put your clothes out the night before. You pre-decide. So if you already know that you're likely to have something that's going to be a delay or something that's going to hold you up, go ahead and decide now what you're going to do when it happens. You'd be amazed at what that will free you to do. It's a simple thing, but it can totally revolutionize your growth into patience. And then I think there is another book in the New Testament that was written by the brother of Jesus named James. And James, in some ways, has been historically has been referred to as like the New Testament version of Proverbs because James was so pithy and, and so simple in how he would say certain things. And I think one of the things that James says in James chapter 1, 19 through 20, is actually really helpful too in fostering patience. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Oftentimes, in our moments of impatience, we want to invert that. We want to get quick to anger. We want to be really quick to speak. And we don't want to listen. And yet, if you're willing to sit, to listen, to ask questions, you'd be amazed. Instead of getting angry, because we all know this, impatience doesn't work. It doesn't. I've got a toddler. I'm reminded of that all the time. If I tell, <coughs> if I tell him to do something and he doesn't do it, me getting impatient with him does not make it easier. He actually drives pleasure from that. He's like, I'm making the old man's vein pop out right now, right? He wants me to do that. I'm not letting him get that pleasure from me. And so, like, you and I know that no one, uh, we never walk away and be like, my impatience totally transformed that situation. My team is going to slay it this year. Or, man, the bonding that just happened relationally because I let loose out of my impatience, is going to be the key to our secret relation. One day I will stand up and say the key to this great relationship between my wife and I is my impatience. 
Like, we know that's ridiculous. No one ever says that. But we do it. And James makes the point, in, like, invert your natural tendency. The supernatural ability for people who follow Jesus is the, the, an ability to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And believe it or not, patience, I think, is a powerful force because in some ways, patience is a lot like water and wind. A gentle applying of water and waves and wind can shape and bend and mold rocks into new shapes. Like the gentle, patient pressure can shape a landscape and a horizon. I saw this play out last year. I, I traveled and... Um, rented a car, and they charged me about $250 more than they were supposed to. <clears throat> I won't say the name of the company, um, but I called them, and I'm like, hey, I'm a valuable customer. I rent from you, and I noticed that you charged me $250. And they're like, sir, you're right. You are such a valuable customer to us. In fact, you're one of our like little members, one of those people who skip the thing and go straight to the car. <clears throat> but, sir, I don't know if you know this, but because you are a valuable member, you've already pre-signed, you've already allowed us to keep your signature on file to apply to any invoice that our company creates. So, I know that you think we charged you $250 more, but you already signed for it. And I'm like, when did I sign for it? Well, because you're a valuable member of our blank, um, you pre-signed whatever amount we charge you. And I'm like, oh, time out. So, Jennifer... You're telling me that I've given you my signature and your company can literally put it on anything it wants. They're like, I mean, no, but yes. So if you decided to charge me $1,000, legally you're saying I have no recourse because you can just boop, put my signature on it. We would never do that, but yes. And I'm like, Jennifer, can, can I ask you a question? How would you feel if someone took your name, your great name, and just started willy-nilly applying it to charges like that? Jennifer, obviously you make so much more money than I do because $250 is so much money for our family. And I just wonder, like, how, you know, what do you expect? What would you do, Jennifer? Um, what do you mean, what would I do? I mean, let's just imagine I'm the customer service agent and you're the one calling me. What would you want me to say to you, Jennifer? Uh, sir, I don't think I can answer that question. I'm like, oh, this, this call's being recorded for, you know, personal, whatever, that made-up word. I'm like, you know you're being spied on, don't you? And I'm like, okay, Jennifer, here's the thing. Your refusal to talk tells me something. I know they've tied your hands. You want to be a good customer service rep, but you can't be because your company has policies that have reduced the people that the company makes money from just, just a policy decision. And so you see the human side, but unfortunately you can't act on it. So Jennifer, I'm not mad at you. I bet you're an amazing person who I was worth waiting online for four hours for. So can you give me someone whose hands are not tied? So I get the manager, who then repeats to me, sorry, we can't do anything about it. And I realize this person could do something about it because then they offer me reward points which is like the equivalent of like nothing, right? It's like giving someone coupons when they're starving and they have no money. I'm like, well, thank you for your coupons. Does absolutely no good. 
So I hang up, and I go through my credit card company, and the credit card company is shut down. Then I go through a lawyer, shut down, because I'm kind of a bulldog. And um, so I do this for a year. I periodically would just call them whenever I knew I, I had three hours, and I'm in the car, literally. I'd call them, and I'd go through the same thing. I never got mad at them because I always hoped one person would finally do it for me. And then finally, because I knew every single phone call was being recorded, one day I emailed them. But I didn't email them. I found the CEO's email, and I emailed the CEO. And I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know where I've been in my relationship with you with this company. For years, I've used you exclusively. I valued you. And I have to be honest with you, I felt like the last year you have severely undervalued me. I have not blasted this on social media. I'm not walking around telling my friends how horrible your company's policies and practices are towards their customers. Because I believe at the end of the day, human to human conversation can solve a lot of problems. So I'm simply asking you, would you refund the money that you took from me that I never authorized. And three hours later, I got an email back from senior VP of customer service saying, sorry, Mr. Causey, we've resolved the problem. I never got angry, never got frustrated. I never unleashed on Jennifer. Because oftentimes we get so impatient, we get so frustrated. And when you know that you can wait train, it frees you up to not react, but to respond. And you know that the person beside, like, have you ever sat behind someone or stood behind someone in line who's getting, they're unleashing on someone on the other side? Most of the people that get unleashed upon do not have the power to change the circumstances that put them in the first place. If your plane gets delayed because of weather, that really sweet man or woman behind the counter with their computer has no power to transform the weather or unleash or unrelease a ground stop or to physically pick up your bag and hand it to you when it's been long. And, and so when you respond, you know that. And what I've found over time is that oftentimes people in that place respond so much better to patients. You do, right? Because you want to help somebody. You want to do something good. And so being patient is actually a force multiplier. You're not being a pushover by being a patient. You're actually being wise, which is why Solomon does it. But you're not just being wise. Solomon puts one other word in there that changes the whole view of how we think about patience. And this is how I want to close. He says this, better a patient man. Now, Solomon doesn't write this in English. He writes this 3,000 years ago in a language that would be called Hebrew. And the word patient in the Hebrew was a visual picture. It, it was a, an image, it was a word picture of a long nose. And the idea, if you've ever had a parent who you were irritating, you know that they do this. Right? They start sucking in when you start frustrating them. You see their nostrils start to get a little bit bigger. 
Right? You ever seen, you, you just, you, you, they just stop talking to you and you see them going. And the idea in the Hebrew was that being patient meant that you had an incredibly long nose that you could keep sucking in, keep breathing in, keep breathing in, when most people would have let loose and breathed out. And it was always, always, up until this point right here, it was always used to describe God. That God had a long nose towards us. That he was patient with us. He could keep breathing in, even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of our frustration, even in the midst of our self-centeredness, even in the midst of our wickedness and just our society and our cultures doing the things that they do and the way that we harm others the way that we don't live a life of love. Like he just keeps breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in. And so Solomon using this is heavy because he's saying to us that it is possible to take what up until that point had been seen as this divine attribute and actually have it a part of our life too. So it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. But I want to tell you, about my favorite fathers in nature as, a, I think, a perfect picture of what patience looks like, and it's these guys. These are emperor penguins. They live in Antarctica, and um, this is a father, and the reason I know this is a father is because he has the egg. Because when the female um, bursts the egg, it's about five inches long, about three inches wide. Inside of that is a little tiny embryo for a little baby emperor penguin that's going to take approximately 65 days to grow. Now, she's going to lay that egg right at the cusp of winter. She's going to hand it to him, and they're going to do this cute little foot dance, and he's going to put it up on his feet, and like all good fathers, he has a little bit of a gut, and he's going to plop it over that egg. So, so this is actually, you know, this, this is for my children to keep them warm. I never knew that. It's like I feel so free now. I have a purpose. Like, come here, children. Let me flop my belly fat over you. But this is essentially what they do. It's awesome. And the reason why is because that little belly flap goes over that egg, and, it's, and it keeps the egg warm. Because what that emperor penguin, um, whether it's conscious or not, I don't know, but what the emperor penguin intuitively knows is winter is coming. And when winter hits in Antarctica, it's 20 hours of darkness. It's negative 40 below Celsius, okay? With wind speeds up to 90 miles per hour. So like unfathomably cold and dark and brutal. And if that egg touches the ground at any point during winter, it dies. And so these fathers will huddle up. If you've ever seen a a nature documentary, They will huddle up, and they will literally kind of do a spiral in and spiral out. And so they'll kind of work their way inside to the circle where all the body heat keeps them warm, and then they'll move to the outside, but they're still warm, and then they move back to the inside. And they'll do this for weeks on end. They won't be able to eat during this entire time, so about 50% of their body fat will be lost. So they, they lose weight, they suffer, they do all of these things for this reason right here. Because right before the mom comes back from her really, really long Wegmans trip, (laughs) this little thing is born, 
and will sit comfortably inside of that little warm belly fat that's not as big as it was, will sit there on those feet for about two weeks. You see, patience literally brings life. It can transform a relationship. It can transform your marriage. It can transform your parenting. Patience brings life, not just with emperor penguins, but your life and my life too. And as, as a Christian, I understand that the very nature of God is that patience can bring spiritual life as well. It means that no matter what you've done, where you've come from, what you have going on in your life right now, there is a God who is patient with you, who is waiting for you, who is such a, a better father than even this example because he came up with this idea. And he's such a good father that he can originate emperor penguins who do not have the mental capacity to understand what being a good father. He can innately embed it inside of them because he's the good, good father. And his patience changed my life. And his patience can change your life too. Because there's nothing you've done. There's nothing you can do. There's no distance that you've run from him. That he's not patiently waiting for you. That's what patience does. It brings life. It doesn't just make the summer travel easier. It means it can actually transform the moments that would have been a frustration into something fun. It gives you the freedom to respond, not react. It gives you the patience, gives you the strength to navigate with your teenager and all of their teenagerness. Gives you an ability to walk beside someone who's frustratingly holding your hand that doesn't want to walk beside you. And instead of your feelings, instead of your pain, instead of your hurt, reacting, your patience, your ability to breathe in deep and to keep breathing in because God the Father did that for us to pave the way for us through Jesus to be brought back to him. And that as Christ followers, we can do that for others. And it means for those who have not yet followed Jesus, his patience is open for you today. And that's why patience is a summer essential. That's why patience is worth packing into every single bag and every single moment that you have. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love, the way that you are so patiently kind to us. Thank you for the grace that saved us God, I pray that in our interactions with others that we would be patient. That you would help us this summer to imagine the moments where patience is going to be needed and to embrace it fully with weight training. And thank you that ultimately on this Father's Day, regardless of how, how painful or how celebratory it is, thank you that Father's Day is ultimately... Um, can be a good day because you're the capital F Father. You're the one who calls all of us to come home to you with your love and your patience, that you're a strong God who is greater 
And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.